live from inside your speakers, this is Hardcore Casual, your place for weekly gaming and entertainment news. Please welcome your host, Wack Ops. Greetings from Earth, this is not your leader. My name is Wack Ops. How you doing? Welcome to Hardcore Casual, your bonus episode for the Game Awards. First things first, yes, welcome back, welcome back. I know I've been off for, ooh, at least a month now. Uh, I, I gotta be honest with y'all. I needed to take a mental health break. Now, if you're listening to this and you need a mental health break, please take one. Burnout is not fun. It is not something that you want to do. Obviously, I still had some personal matters to attend to. It is the holidays. This is actually going to be the last episode of 2021. Uh, I have a big family that I gotta go and see and I gotta get in the car and go see some people that I care about and I love and I hope you're doing the same these holidays. I also had to have some dental surgery. There's going to be some more dental surgery coming up. So I'm definitely going to need to take some more breaks coming up in 2022. But we will cross that bridge when we get to it. Speaking of 2022, my goodness, is it looking good for games. We have a lot of fantastic anticipated releases coming up soon. And just for you guys, I am preparing some special things to grow the channel coming up in 2022. So please stay in this space, stay tuned, stay locked in. And before we get into all the big juicy news that the Game Awards gave to us this year, let's go ahead and plug the show. Let's get you guys to go ahead and write into the show anytime you like. Whatever questions you have, we'll make sure to bring those up when we relaunch in 2022. Go ahead and send me a message at our email at wackops at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Twitter or Instagram, again, at wackops. That's W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. Please subscribe, share, download, and review. It really does help the show. I would greatly appreciate it. Now, with all that being said, let's go ahead and jump into the headliners for this Game Awards. And for those of you who did not like the Game Awards, don't worry, we'll be getting into that. There is still a trigger warning segment this week. So let's talk about the big game releases, the things that got us most excited for the Game Awards this year, starting off with some 2022 anticipated releases. First things first, honestly, the best thing that I saw at the Game Awards, in my opinion, not the not the thing that got me most excited, but the best was that Hellblade 2 Senua's Saga trailer. Now, apparently, this was gameplay. A lot of people I saw online debating whether it was gameplay or cinematic footage. This was gameplay, according to the studio over at Ninja Theory. Now, what made this most exciting was the fact that there was no break in camera sequencing. So, if there was some cinematics uh, woven in there, I wouldn't be able to tell. What the biggest thing was, was the fact that there was no UI present, so you couldn't really see what you were going to be seeing as you had the controller in your hand. I think they may have stripped, let's say, your health, your stamina, your items, whatever would be on the screen while you were playing. But if any of you played the original, there was nothing on the screen. So I am very curious to see the upcoming... Hellblade 2 Senua Saga and how it is received. Um, I did try the original Hellblade, but I was not able to get through it 
um, mostly because of my reservations about certain cultural aspects, let's say, to character design and things of that nature. But I'm actually going to go ahead and download that again and give it a try. From what I understand, it's a relatively short game. So you, if you haven't had a chance to play it, I would suggest you go ahead and play it and catch up before Hellblade 2 comes out because I have a feeling this is going to be a Hallmark franchise within the Microsoft ecosystem moving forward. Next, of course, we got some new gameplay footage from Horizon Forbidden West coming this February, next February, February 2022. And we finally got a look at some more robot dinosaurs, some more enemies that we're going to be playing against, that we're going to be hunting down for resources. I was super excited about that. I honestly cannot stop watching it, um, mostly because, I mean, Horizon Zero Dawn, I would say, is probably one of the coolest worlds that I've had the, the, the chance to play in. And so to see the expansion of this world, to see how they flesh things out, and especially just in the last couple of weeks, Horizon Forbidden West, the team over at Guerrilla announced that they actually have, um, I guess, what would be like a village uh, director who's actually putting in the time to create atmospheres in the people populated cities and towns that you're going to be visiting to make them feel real and lived in, which I think for a lot of us in our RPGs or our action RPGs is very, very important. Um, I mean, it's escapism. That's what we're practicing in, in gaming. We're trying to escape. So really put the time forward to be able to do that. I'm very excited about Horizon Forbidden West. But being that that is the game that we're probably going to see soonest out of this short list that I have here, I think all of you are going to be able to play this very, very soon, assuming you have a Sony console. Next, we got some gameplay, finally some gameplay from Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. I would say, short of Marvel's Avengers, we have actually had a good string of superhero video game announcements, and I think we finally have the technology to be able to feel super powerful as superhero IPs that we already know and love. Personally, I love this concept. I love the story that they're going for. The gameplay did look a little hmm, last gen, for lack of a better term. But if they can do what, say, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy did in terms of narrative and comedy and just really good writing then I think, honestly, I'll be able to get past some minor gameplay gripes that I might have. Again, I haven't had my hands on it, um, but I do want to see how they implement playing as a team or what your main character is going to be or things like that because we've seen multiple different takes from specifically team-based superhero games. Um, but, I mean, I think everybody over there uh, at the Suicide Squad development team is shooting for the king over there in Insomniac uh, and their Spider-Man games, especially now that they have announced a Wolverine game. If they can hit over at WB and DC with this Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League game and make it their Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, I think that can open the door for more positivity toward superhero games over on the DC side, over on the WB side, um, especially with all the turbulence they've had over the cu last couple of years with the ba Batman trilogy coming to an end. There is a lot they're trying to push in the gaming space, and I'm very excited for it. I'm all here for it. 
I just want to see more. Now, the last two that really got everyone hyped. It, well, personally, got me very hyped. I haven't seen necessarily all of the talk online about it. But first, let's talk about the one with a release window. And that is Alan Wake 2. Now, Alan Wake 2 from Remedy Software, the makers, of course, Alan Wake 1 and Control, a loose, um, I would say, uh, sequel to Alan Wake 1. Now that we're getting Alan Wake 2, Remedy Games has come out and said that they're actually going to be making this a survival horror title. That is very exciting. I'm not into survival horror, but as a fan of Remedy Games, this might be able to get me into the gameplay loop. It looked really exciting. There wasn't a lot to go off of. This was a teaser trailer, and they said they are going to be going dark for some time to work on the game. So don't anticipate hearing a lot of news from Remedy as far as Alan Wake 2 is concerned, but do expect a whole lot of speculation from the YouTube and Twitter gaming spaces as far as this title is concerned. At this point, I have nothing more to say on it other than I'm very excited and I will be making sure to play my way through Alan Wake 1, something that I've already been excited for since a couple of months ago when they re-released um, a remastered edition of it. Now, last game on the headliners list of the five games that I was most excited to talk to you about is Wonder Woman. I can't believe it took this long for us to get a female-led superhero title announced, but I'm very excited to see what WB Games can do with this title. I'm hoping that it can be on par, at the least, with the Batman uh, Arkham series, but if not that, then yeah, let's go for the gusto and say, I hope this is on par with the Wolverine game that I think is probably going to be releasing around the same time, given how development has been going uh, since COVID. Um, we do not have a release window for Wonder Woman. My anticipation is we're not going to be seeing, uh, getting our hands on this until 2024. This is probably two to three years out. But if they are making this as a true next-gen title, I can't wait. I think Wonder Woman's lore is very cool, very fun. She has a lot of very interesting enemies. I just hope that the, you know, toxic side of the gamer space will take a step back when it comes to this one and we can really celebrate what hopes to be a very good game. But Wonder Woman is easily an IP that deserves a AAA video game title and let's hope that WB can come through for us. Now, of all those games announced, uh, I picked five that I wanted to talk about. These were the five that I was most excited about that pretty much already have my money more or less um, but again, of the five that we talked about, only two of which are far, far off. The other three are coming next year, as said from the development studio. That is Hellblade 2, Horizon Forbidden West, and Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. So let's get into the next segment of announcements, and that is the movies. Let's get into the real segment where we break down the latest in movie and TV news this specifically coming from the Game Awards. Of course, we have to talk about Sonic 2. Um, honestly, I thought the presentation was pretty cringy. I thought that uh, I was honestly surprised that Sonic got a number two. But 
I was really happy with how Tails turned out and with how Knuckles turned out, played by, of course, Idris Elba. Um, as far as my excitement toward Sonic as a franchise, uh, both in movies and in games, they have been missing the mark for years and years and years. Ask any Sonic fan. So I'm very happy to see that Sonic 2 is getting some burn in Hollywood, and let's hope that this can lead to some good development money for the Sonic team. Um, from what I understand, they are also developing Sonic Frontiers, which is going to be an open-world Sonic game. We have played many 3D Sonic games in the past, and very few have met our expectations. So let's hope between the movie and the game, Sonic fans will have some good food to eat coming up next year. Next, we have... This was a weird announcement because I think a lot of the community is really on the fence about it, and I am talking about the Halo series being brought to us by Paramount+. Plus. Now, the reason I'm skeptical about this, not because of the story. As a genre, I think Halo does space opera probably the best out of almost any video game franchise short of maybe Mass Effect um, and games of that nature. Maybe Destiny as well. I think Destiny... Uh, Mass Effect and Halo are the best to do the space opera uh, genre in gaming. So it makes sense that they move into film. I'm just curious as to how people are going to receive um, John 117, uh, Master Chief, once you see his face. I think one of the big allures of Halo is the fact that you can picture yourself as Master Chief. You know what I mean? But I'm very curious as to how they're going to go about, not the action sequences, but really give give more details as to the lore of the Halo franchise and how this is going to mesh with what 343 has already done to the original Bungie writing that we had got in Halo 1, 2, and 3. Um, obviously, a whole lot of writing teams working on the Halo series right now. I'm excited to see what the future holds for Halo, but... I am definitely not holding my breath just in case they bungle it because I'll be honest, film and video games have not always had the best cross production. You know what I mean? There hasn't been a lot of good movies and films and television shows based on games up until recently. Um, you even can see it in the anime space with live action things they've whiffed. You can see... Look at the reception of the latest Resident Evil movie. Look at how people are receiving the uh, Uncharted movie that's coming out. It is a fine, fine needle that you have to thread for this to work. And I hope that this Halo series is received well. At least gets to two seasons. And let's see what kind of story they're going to be playing out. What games they're going to be based on. Or if these are going to be different news stories that we might see crossover with the games moving forward. Now, last in the real segment, and this isn't technically a film, but because it is based on film, because it was a part of the promotion for a film, I felt that it was important to include it in this segment, and that is The Matrix Awakens Unreal Engine 5 Tech Demo. Now, just before I started recording, I went ahead and watched the Digital Foundry video on the Matrix Awakens Unreal Engine 5 tech demo, and my god, 
is this amazing. Now, as you guys may or may not know, I'm playing primarily on my Xbox Series S, not the X or a PS5. I do not have the most powerful hardware. So I have not, I have not been able to get the most out of this tech demo. Um, thusly, I have not played it yet. But the reaction from the gaming community about what the future of gaming looks like, I think we're starting to hedge right around that uncanny valley into near photorealism in real time. That's what made this tech demo so impressive, so amazing, was the fact that this was not pre-rendered footage. Or at least 90% of it was not. Um, if you also think about the fact that uh, Epic and Unreal are going to be releasing every asset that you see in the tech demo to the public for game publishers and game developers to use in their games moving forward, I'm very excited for what next gen really looks like. Honestly, right now where we are a year after the consoles have been released, there has been maybe one or two games that felt truly next gen and not last gen with some new gen paint on it. You know what I mean? So to me, this is the first look as to what we can be seeing potentially on the horizon moving forward. I think 2023, 2024 is when we're really going to see the implementation of Unreal Engine 5 into games that we can actually play um, instead of just a tech demo. But if you have a chance, it is 30 gigabytes on Xbox right now, but if you have a chance and you haven't checked it out already, do check out The Matrix Awakens Unreal Engine 5 tech demo because it is well worth your time if you're curious about where the industry is headed in the next three to five years versus where we are right now. And I mean, let's exclude all the promotional aspects to it. But, you know, I think this was a great uh, IP to use Unreal Engine 5 tech demo for. Um, we previously got some tech technical demos from the in Unreal Engine 5, but they were not using IPs that we already knew, and they were uh, not in a cityscape, so not a lot of reflective materials. They couldn't showcase all of what this engine can do, and in this tech demo, they give you a great look at it. Granted, the frame pacing and the frame rate is going to be fluctuating during certain action sequences it's not perfectly optimized again this is a demo but this is probably the most gorgeous tech demo we have seen to date and if you go ahead and watch the digital foundry video for those of you who are a little more technically inclined that will give you just a, a understanding and appreciation of how excited the people who actually know what's happening behind the scenes, the people who know the software and the and the technology that's being used to create this, they are salivating. They could not be more excited. This is probably some of the most enthusiastic I've seen those guys in a long time. Uh, so definitely go check out Digital Foundry's video on this if you want to see a breakdown of what you're looking at. Um, but that is enough for the real segment. I'm very excited about what's to come. Let's go ahead and jump into the actual awards. I want to talk about these awards because some of these categories were very controversial and I have a lot of strong opinions about them. But let's go ahead and run through them and we will go ahead and get to my in individual opinions about these awards as we go. 
first things first, let's talk about best indie. Uh, I think this was a controversial pick, I think, uh, mostly because everybody who plays indie games is going to root for their favorite game. And not everybody plays every mainstay indie title that's available to them. Especially because indie titles don't always make their way to consoles or to certain marketplaces at the same time uh, as, say, a AAA game would. Let's go ahead and start with the nominees for Best Indie. That was 12 Minutes, Death's Door, Inscription, Loop Hero, and Kena Bridge of Spirits. Now, of these titles, I have played only one, but I have definitely deep-dived as far as who's played what and watched plenty of review videos on multiple of these games, uh, least of which would be Loop Hero. But from what I understand, the gameplay loop is very, very good as far as Loop Hero. Um, personally, in terms of best indie, I thought Death's Door had it hands down. When that got released earlier in 2021, everybody, and I mean everybody, was on it. Now, do I think that had to do with the gap in, um, you know, what kind of next-gen games we were waiting on and things of that nature? People were more receptive to indies this year. Uh, I definitely think Death's Door had some of the best um, Zelda-like experiences, and I think people are always starved for things like that. Now, the winner of this award ended up being Kana Bridge of Spirits, and the reason why... I was a little annoyed with this pick because I thought it was a consolation prize for not getting a art direction or art design award, of which we will get to a little later. But I was very excited because Kana Bridge of Spirits definitely deserved to get a game award this year in something, and I'm very happy to see a black-led development team doing their first game coming from the art, uh, the animation world and making a true PS2 generation platform game with challenging combat. I can't be mad that this won Best Indie. I will say a lot of people are mad that Inscription did not win it because um, it was probably one of the most creative games on this list. With that being said, I understand why it was released a little later in the year. And a lot of in it being only available on Steam, you're gonna lose a lot of the console mar or you're gonna lose the entire console market, and thusly what people are exposed to most as far as the best indie award is the most likely to win. And I believe Kana Bridge of Spirits was the one that had the most headlines, was on the most consoles, and was available to people in terms of what was being reviewed and things of that nature. So not surprised that Kana Bridge of Spirits won, but I definitely, if it was up to me, would have gone to Death's Door um, for art design, for sound design, for combat, for, it was it was all around a very solid, uh, you know, eight to ten hours. It was not the worst way you could have spent, you know, some time. So, let's go ahead and move on to Best Action Title. Now, this category was a complete crapshoot because I think... Action is kind of a very loose term in the gaming space. Anything really could be considered an action game as long as it includes combat. But the nominees for Best Action Game were Back for Blood, Chivalry 2, Deathloop, Far Cry 6, and Returnal. Now, I didn't have much of a dog in the fight, 
personally, I thought it was going to come down to either Chivalry 2 or Far Cry 6. And the reason for that being these were the only nominations that these games got, uh, including Back for Blood. Um, and I thought that perhaps the, uh, I guess, what do we call them? The voters in this may have went toward more creative picks rather than the award winner, who I'm not mad about, and it ended up being Returnal. Now, again, I think this was a consolation vote. I think a lot of people felt bad that Returnal did not get nominated for Game of the Year, Um, and I think this was a lot of people's Game of the Year, and thusly, Returnal ends up winning Best Action Game. Like I said, I don't have a dog in the fight. I was just happy that it didn't go to Far Cry 6 or Back for Blood, because I thought that those games were mm, carbon copies in many ways of past titles that we've already played. And I always default to creativity or things that I have not seen before. Now, let's get into the next award, which I have a lot of opinions about. I thought this was a true, true snub, and this is for Best Art Direction. Let's go ahead and look at the nominees for Best Art Direction. Psychonauts 2. Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart, The Artful Escape, Kena, Bridge of Spirits, and Deathloop. Now, who ends up winning this award? Deathloop. Why does that frustrate me? Why was that uh, contentious to me? Well, a couple of reasons. One, uh, the team over there at Double Fine and Tim Schafer made uh, a fantastic, amazingly creative, something I've never seen before game in Psychonauts 2, who I personally thought should have been the winner. Um, you also have Kana Bridge of Spirits, which, again, was made specifically by an animation team. Uh, I think that when you have a piece that big on the board, specifically both of them, such big pieces on the board, to give it to a, you know, sim game, an action game, a shooter, uh, I think is mm, a little touchy. I think giving this award and the next award that we're going to be talking about both to Deathloop, I think was a mistake on the committee's part. Um, And I think ultimately I would have liked almost any other game other than Deathloop or Ratchet and Clank to win this because I think art direction is very different from visuals. Uh, And I think people may uh, like visual fidelity and things of that nature. And I think Psychonauts 2 got snubbed this year because it was reminiscent of a PS2 generation. Same with Kana Bridge of Spirits. I think both of them got dinged for not being next-gen enough, for not being um, receptive to the core fan base, but being uh, available to, quite frankly, younger audiences. And I think a lot of games on this list who are more receptive to younger audiences got hit this year, Uh, of course, excluding Game of the Year, which we will get into. But I don't know that Deathloop entirely deserved Best Art Direction. I certainly would have given it to Psychonauts 2, um, mostly because I will remember that game for its art after everything is said and done from this year. Um, It's not my game of the year, but it is certainly in my top three. And I think purely based on the world building and how creative they were with the level design, I think Art Direction... um, should definitely go to Psychonauts 2, but congratulations to the team at Deathloop. I do not want to have this sound like hate. I just 
was surprised at how much Deathloop, how much love it got from the voters, given how it was received by the community, which a lot of people it just did not connect with. Next, let's get into best game direction. Now, where this is different from art direction, I think art direction is very much like how often are you just panning around looking at things like, wow, every intimate little detail, whereas game direction, I think, is a lot more, yes, that, but how the world pairs with gameplay. So to me, uh, this is an open race. I have no problem with any of the nominees here, uh, though I was surprised to see the winner. Now, the nominees for Best Game Direction were Psychonauts 2, Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart, It Takes 2, Returnal, and Deathloop. Now, my pick for Best Game Direction probably would have went to It Takes 2, because if you look at how many different game mechanics they were juggling and hitting them just right, the way they were able to um, basically be teaching you how to play a new game every single level and have those levels be uh, full of combat, be challenging, really force you to communicate with your partner who you're playing the game with. I think all of those were amazing, and I think it certainly deserved uh, best game direction. But I think uh, Returnal did a great job being able to bring roguelikes into the mainstream uh, following Hades' uh, wonderful reception last year. I think Ratchet & Clank really iterated well on a beloved franchise and made it a hallmark for next-gen games this year. I think a lot of people, when they think of next-gen games, uh, at least in the PS2, or excuse me, in the uh, PS5 ecosystem, Ratchet & Clank is what comes to mind. Um, and of course, Psychonauts 2, their level design is A1. I loved it. Um, the problem I had with Psychonauts 2, which I heard a lot of people, was just the uh, inputs you know what I mean? The controls were not as clean as perhaps some people would like it to be, myself included. But given what they were hearkening back to and the style of game they were going for, I'm not entirely surprised. So as far as best game direction goes, I think Deathloop is a deserved winner, though I had my own different picks coming from that. So congratulations, Deathloop, on not only best art direction and game direction. That was the only two games that they or game awards that they would go ahead and win this year. Next, now we're getting into some some real juicy stuff here. Best narrative. Now, the nominees for best narrative are Deathloop, Psychonauts 2, It Takes 2, Life is Strange, True Colors, and Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, I have played, let's see, 3 games on this list. I did not get a chance to get to Deathloop because, again, I do not have a PS5, and though I would love to play it on PS4, I had to make my choices this September, October, November, when all these games were coming out, um, and, you know, I'm not a reviewer, so <laughs> I didn't have a chance to play and beat every game this year, but best believe I watched plenty of uh, spoiler-filled content on all of these games, and I'm not surprised that the winner of best narrative game was Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I'm currently on a playthrough of Guardians of the Galaxy. I want to say I'm at like chapter 11 or so, but it plays like a comic book. Every chapter within the story, I feel like I'm reading a comic book. I'm more invested 
in the world building. I'm more invested in the lore and the narrative and the characters and their interactions than I am uh, in the game play loop itself. And to get me to keep coming back just to see what happens and how these relationships develop, that is uh, exactly what Best Narrative is all about. For Psychonauts 2, I, you know, I can't say that I was only going back to see what happens to these characters or other aspects to it. Um, it Takes Two, quite frankly, I hated the narrative of It Takes Two. Genuinely, like me, and I played it with my, uh, with my partner, and we both were just like, dude, we hate these people, but this game is fun as hell. Um, Deathloop, uh, I did not hear a lot about the narrative, but given that it seems like to be a, a disjointed story, you're kind of just picking up breadcrumbs as you go along. Um, and obviously, uh, everybody's going to take a different strategy toward Deathloop. I think it's a little harder to get narrative across, but the fact that they did that, I think is very, uh, impressive. And of course, Life is Strange True Colors. Life is Strange is a narrative-based game, so being that they're playing to their strong suit, I'm actually surprised that they didn't win, but... Uh, they did win an award for, off the top of my head, I believe it was Games for Impact. So I'm not surprised that it actually ended up going to Guardians of the Galaxy. I think a lot of people do not appreciate how good the stories can be in superhero games when they're based even loosely on the comic books. If people try and stay true to the art form in some way, shape, form, or fashion, comic book video games are just incredible. Because there's plenty of mystery, plenty of character development, things that get you invested in the individual characters moving through their story. Um, and of course, it helps that in comic books, nobody ever really dies permanently. So that's always nice, too. Um, you feel kind of safer in playing through this game, knowing that only so many things can happen to these characters before they release a number two. And I really hope that we get a Guardians of the Galaxy number two uh, video game, or at the very least, uh, Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix get another chance to make a Marvel game after the disastrous, mm, opinion, but I would say disastrous launch of Marvel's Avengers. Next, let's go ahead and jump into Best Action Adventure Game, which I think this was completely subjective, but what is an award show but that? Uh, let's get to the nominees. It is Psychonauts 2, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, Resident Evil Village, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Metroid Dread. Now, as far as the nominees are concerned, I think best action-adventure game really has to hit both of those marks, action and adventure. Some of the uh, games on this list do not hit both. Uh, of those that do, I would say Resident Evil Village, Ratchet and Clank, and Metroid Dread are easily the the winners of this title. I think again, Psychonauts 2 and Guardians of the Galaxy, while they are great narratively and in terms of the level design and things of that nature, the art design, the characters, I do not think that the action portion of these two games were particularly frenetic. I don't think they really hit that you know, scratch that itch for me. I wasn't, I didn't walk away putting the controller down, sweating like, oh man, that was, that was intense, you know? 
Whereas I could see that with Resident Evil Village. And personally, as somebody who's playing through Metroid Dread, I am happy to say that this one best action-adventure game, because I truly believe between the boss fights and the exploration, Metroid Dread is well-deserving of this uh, of this game award. And I'm happy for Metroid fans. I'm happy for Metroidvania fans. And I'm, I'm happy that a 2D side-scrolling platformer was able to win a game award in 2021. A lot of people are pointing to this to say, oh man, look how down this year is. I'm like, no, this has opened up people to search for games that are outside of their comfort zone. And I think for a lot of people, myself included, who aren't necessarily into Metroidvanias, playing Metroid Dread uh, opened up our palette to different games that we might not have been receptive to the first time we tried them because maybe we didn't understand, we weren't familiar with the point of the game. I personally, after I beat Metroid Dread, I'm going to go back and play Ori and the Will of the Wisps, or I'm going to try my third try at Hollow Knight and really try and understand what the game is trying to do and see if I'm up to the challenge. So I want to thank Metroid Dread not only for being the best action-adventure game of this year, but also being able to really break the seal on what my gaming interests potentially could be moving forward. Very excited for Metroid Dread. Very excited for the team over there. Now, let's get into the easily most controversial of the awards, and that is going to be most anticipated game and game of the year. Firstly, nominees for most anticipated game. Starfield, God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Breath of the Wild 2, and Elden Ring. Now, as far as these five games are concerned, obviously they're all completely subjective. Uh, four of which, four of the five we've actually seen gameplay for, um, but very little. I am, I would say if I had to pick what I'm looking forward to most, it would probably be Starfield. And the only reason for that is, is my relationship with Bethesda games. And I mean, I've played every Fallout uh, that's been under Bethesda. So not Fallout 1 and 2, but 3, 4. I play New Vegas. I love them all. Uh, obviously, Skyrim is very good. Um, and the way people talk about Morrowind and Oblivion, uh, I think that the next Bethesda game for how long we've been holding our breath and quite frankly coming out after Fallout 76, I think this is truly my most anticipated game. Now, what games am I most likely to play is going to be Guard of War Ragnarok because the sequel, I just want to know how this story ends so bad. You know, Horizon Forbidden West, an extension of what is considered one of the best games of that generation, Horizon uh, Zero Dawn, obviously very excited for it. And Jesus Christ, if I hear one more game compared to Breath of the Wild, just give us Breath of the Wild too, so people can shut up about Breath of the Wild. I would love to see that be the case. I would love for people to chill out on the, the Zelda hype, because I think ever since 2017, when Breath of the Wild released, that's all we've been hearing about. And as far as open world design and things of that nature, everybody is chasing, you would think, Breath of the Wild too congratulations to the Zelda franchise for being able to keep pace through gaming through 30 years and be so 
irreverent and so celebrated uh, by multiple generations of gamers. Um, but the winner ended up being Elden Ring. Now, I think this has a lot to do with recency bias. Um, and I think coming off of a couple of years ago when Sekiro won Game of the Year, I think people have an affinity for From Software. Um, and I think their community of, I guess, quote unquote, hardcore gamers or gamers who love a challenge. This is very, very exciting. And the fact that it seems to be much more accessible than your Dark Souls and your Souls Likes, your Bloodborns and your Sekiros. Because of that, because you have the option of having the game be more difficult based on how you play versus a difficulty slider of some sort, I think a lot of people are very excited about Elden Ring, especially because it seems to do a lot more in terms of narrative, a lot more in terms of lore than Dark Souls has and things of that nature. Um, I definitely think this was a recency bias pick. Uh, I don't have a lot of opinions on what is most anticipated because it is entirely up to who is reading it, who is voting on it. But if I had to pick, it would probably be Starfield and probably because we know the least about it. So let's go ahead and get to the, the meat and potatoes. Let's get to this game of the year. The nominees for game of the year, game awards 2021 are Deathloop, Metroid Dread, Psychonauts 2, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, Resident Evil Village, and It Takes Two. Now, I'm going to break this down a little different. Who did I want to win? Who did I think would win? And who actually ended up winning? So, who I wanted to win? 100% it was It Takes Two. And the reason why was because I felt it was the only game that was actually something new that we had not seen before. Um, granted, I I know Hazelight has made, uh, what is it? Um, not Get Out, but the Prison Break game of a similar nature where you have to play with another player. There's a lot of mini games and different gameplay mechanics incorporated into the story. I definitely thought that It Takes Two would have been a very heartfelt winner for Game of the Year this year, especially because, you know, a lot of the other nominees are uh, iterative. They are an iteration on other titles that we have seen before that have gotten nominations before, excluding Metroid, of course. But I think everything else on this list, we have seen or tried at least once or twice, if you're interested in those subgenres. Um, who did I think would win? Honestly, I thought it would be Deathloop. And the reason was because it got so many 10 out of 10s. Uh, I thought um, just the reception from the gaming journalist side of the industry, Deathloop was easily the most well-received game of all of them. Uh, Psychonauts 2 was not for everybody. Not everybody wants to play a Metroid game. Uh, not everybody was interested in Ratchet and Clank because they played Ratchet and Clank before. And Resident Evil Village, while a very good game, was short and, well, Resident Evil. If you've played one, you've played many. So, I am not surprised, or I am surprised, that the winner ended up being my pick, It Takes Two. I did not think that the community would actually end up giving it to a game that is so receptive to younger players that uh, you have to have a second controller and play with somebody with. 
Um, one that is about a family splitting up. Uh, one that is just not what you would consider a triple A title in 2021. It, it, it in many ways is a double A game, even if it is published by EA. So I'm very happy to have seen It Takes Two be the winner of the Game Award for Game of the Year 2021. I know a lot of people in the core gamer space are going to huff and puff about this, but at the end of the day, no other game incorporated so many game mechanics and made them cohesive, made them make sense, made them... My partner is not a gamer. She plays games, but she's not a gamer, and she was able to finish this story with me uh, despite its challenges, despite how many different gameplay mechanics she had to learn. She made it through just fine, and I think when you are able to make a game that brings people into the community in a meaningful way, I think that is well-deserving of a Game of the Year winner. Now, however you felt about the Game Awards and the actual awards that went out, I hope that you were able to see some of your favorite games win some awards this year. Now that that is out of the way, now that we've really broken down the winners and losers of the Game Awards, let's go ahead and talk about the show itself with our trigger warning segment where we dissect, deep dive, and discuss one story that deserves more attention, and that is what I'm calling this week Jeff Keighley's Grammys. Um, I think a lot of people this year um, were upset with the Game Awards because it didn't feel like it was aimed at the gaming community, which I would agree with. I think in many ways, this award show, um, there was a communication gap. And there will be con continue to be a communication gap because I think many gamers were expecting E3. Um, many gamers were expecting a shorter, tighter experience all about games and game reveals and things of that nature, especially with how Jeff Keighley himself promoted the Game Awards. He made a point to say, hey, man, you don't want to miss out on this. You don't want to miss out on this. But with a nearly four-hour runtime, I think that a lot of people in the gaming space did not understand what Jeff's Keighley, Jeff Keighley's goals were with the Game Awards, and that is to make an Oscars, a Grammys, a Golden Globes, a whatever of gaming. He wants to bring gaming into the entertainment space with the same reverence and the same allure that film and television have and music have. Um, and I think a lot of people do not like that because it's very adult. Uh, it's not about, you know, that youthful spirit. It's not about the games anymore. It stops being about the games. It start, starts being a lot about people's egos and people's legacies and things of that nature that, on the one hand, I agree with. I want gaming to be looked at with more reverence uh, from other entertainment mediums because gaming has a lot of respect for film. Gamers have a lot of respect for music. Gamers have a lot of respect for television and its impact on the culture. But I think gamers have a tough time, and I think this is a generational issue because when I was growing up, gaming was not looked at as anything that anyone cool did. I think a lot of us grew up as nerds. Uh, not necessarily like just being picked on or something, but just 
how people received something that we had so much love for, we kind of kept it tucked away. And now that somebody's bringing it to light and <laughs> more than light, really putting a shine onto it, a lot of people feel as though the soul is leaving the gaming space uh, when we watch things that are essentially giant marketing pushes and commercials. But I challenge the gaming community to this. What do you expect from the Game Awards? Because if you know that the intention is to make this an award show like any other award show, I challenge you to go watch the Oscars. I challenge you to go watch the Grammys. And I challenge you to go on Twitter and see what people are saying about the nominees, seeing what people are saying about what won, seeing what people are saying about the performances. Um, a lot of it is basically a giant advertisement. And I think to expect something better from somebody whose goals are in direct opposition to your own is a mistake. I think if you don't like the Game Awards, don't tune in. I do think it was too long. I think it had severe pacing issues. But at the point, I knew in the first five minutes, first two minutes of the award show, exactly what it was when I saw Sting come out to open the award show. The fact that they brought out Sting and uh, Giancarlo Esposito and people like that to promote games when you really honestly should have had gamers uh game designers people who we already know and love in the space outside of Hideo Kojima thank you very much Jeff Keighley but bring out the the Pete Hines and the Todd Howards you know bring out um these these game directors who have worked so intimately in the space over the last couple of years who have really uh been trailblazers and not just bring in special guests. But again, the reason they're doing that is because they're trying to get the old people who don't see value in the gaming space to start putting their money into it. It's not enough to just have gamers uh, uh, pay it forward for things. Because at the end of the day, gaming is going to start hitting that $200 billion mark, $300 billion mark, $500 billion mark soon faster than you think and it's because of award shows like this that allow them to expand to people who maybe aren't paying attention to every single game that comes out i think the core fan base of gaming as an industry is very critical and very tapped in and have a hard time understanding what is outside of that bubble i'm not excusing this I'm not excusing Jeff Keighley's choices as far as what he did with the Game Awards, but I think what people expect and what the goals and intentions are of the Game Awards are bifurcated and are very, very different places to be. What I want from the Game Awards and what investors, what marketers and advertisers want from the Game Awards, two completely different things. Two completely different things. So until the Game Awards is getting millions of viewers every time the way that the other award shows are expect more of this kind of pacing expect more of this i hope that next year we get at least an hour cut off of this because a lot of what we saw was what was paying for the game awards 
I think that the venue might have been too large. I think there was one too many performances. I think there was just a little bit too much advertisement. And I get that gamers do not want advertising in the gaming space like that, but this is a lot more TV and music than it is film and video games. So, yes, I understand. Yes, I sympathize with the gaming community who was a little turned off by this. Um, and ultimately, I don't think that Jeff Keighley is really hitting his mark in his goals. I don't think even if the goal for him is to make gaming more reverent and more respected by other entertainment mediums and get more money into the space, uh, I think he missed his mark this year. I do. Um, and I think next year, if we can get a tighter show, if we can get something that just doesn't bleed everybody for four hours of their time, especially when Halo Infinite had just come out like the day before, like it's just very, uh, it's tough. You know, it's tough. It's a tough spot that we are in. I definitely was not happy with how I spent my four hours. I do feel like I could have just watched the headlines roll in as the the games were announced. Um, but that being said, I'm glad that there is a Game Awards. And I hope that Jeff Keighley reaches his goal one day, but without, you know, exercising the core fan base from the conversation. I think that, honestly, the Game Awards should be a lot more like the People's Choice Awards, you know what I mean, than it should be the Grammys. I don't want a committee of people deciding what the best game every year is when ultimately they don't represent most people. It's the same problem the Grammys have. Trust me, don't get me started on the Grammys and how many years in a row they bungle who wins based on record sales or purely based on not being tapped in with the culture. So let's not forget what this award show is. It is an award show, but I, I do hope that Jeff Keighley is listening to the award show uh, commentary and how people receive this and what he expects threading that needle between, you know, basically investor money and respect from old people and the people who got you to the position you're at where we can even have an award show in the first place. But you've heard what I think. Tell me what you think. Go ahead and holla at me. Tell me what you think about this year's Game Awards. Please write into the show. Come and join us and be a part of a growing community. Please don't forget to write in to wackops at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z at gmail.com. You can also hit us on Twitter or Instagram at WACOPS, that's W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. Subscribe, share, download, and review. If you're showing love, I need the sub. If you're trying to holla, I need the follow. If you're enjoying the content, don't forget to comment. And if you're liking what we do, download, share, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy podcasts. Please, I would love to hear your guys' opinion on the Game Awards and that four hours that we had to sit through. Uh, I would also love to hear about what you would like to see from us moving forward into the new year, a, a year full of great games coming out very, very early in the year. Um, and please let us know 
how much you've missed us, man. Uh, I might start posting more infrequently as we move into different potential mediums for the podcast, uh, different platforms that we want to be be uh, integrating into. So please, we would love, love, love to hear from you. Please let us know how we can do better and serve you as the listener better. Lastly, I will leave you as I always do with the shout out of the week. Now, this is where we give people their flowers and hold them up high. And this is where I want to highlight two games that were shown in the pre-show that I think look awesome. I'm definitely going to be picking these up and giving them a try. The first uh, is Tunic. Tunic, we have been hearing about for years. If you've played Death's Door, it very much is reminiscent of that. A kind of cute Zelda-like experience, a lot of puzzles and, um, you know, skill-based combat. I'm excited to see this one come out and see how it's received, and I hope that it is a well-worth experience. The art design looks very, very good. I hope the music is good, too, because something like that, that, that's one of those games where, you know, you, you can get really, really, really annoyed if you can't figure out a puzzle, so... I'm excited to see Tunic and how it's received and what they do with the Zelda-like genre. And secondly, we have Have a Nice Death. This one looked really cool. Again, very similar to Death's Door in terms of narrative. Uh, that being, you know, you play as uh, the Grim Reaper and, you know, you work in an office building and it's just you're annoyed with your mundane day-to-day life. And so you go out and venture off to act as death uh, itself. Very exciting uh, from a narrative standpoint, but the combat looked very Metroidvania, looked very um, tactile, and it looked very engaging. Like, I'm, I'm excited to see more information about Have a Nice Death. Both of these games are going to be coming out March 2022, so March is looking very, very full, especially following February's releases of... Elden Ring and Horizon Forbidden West and the Witch Queen over at Destiny 2. So, please, if you're listening to this, keep an eye out for those indies that are coming out next year. Do not forget about them, especially as we get so, so much from the AAA space. Just wanted to bring a couple of titles to your attention in case you miss them. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and head up out of here and let you guys enjoy your holidays. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever you celebrate, all that good stuff. I'm going to go visit some family and spend some time with them, and I will see you in 2022. With that, I am Whack Ops. This is Hardcore Casual. Have fun, be cool, and stay dangerous. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Hardcore Casual. Join us next Friday with your friendly neighborhood news aggregator, Whack Ops. You can also follow us on social media at Whack Ops, on Instagram and Twitter. Support the show by downloading, sharing, and reviewing. Available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and Stitcher. See you next week.